Welcome to Future Charlotte, the podcast where we talk about the issues, trends, and people shaping the future of our city. Our guest today is Dr. Jerome Williams, Jr., Senior Vice President of Consumer Engagement for Novant Health. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Eli. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start with just some of the basics. I know uh, some of your story because we did a great program through the Community Building Initiative together, LDI. But uh, for folks who don't know you, tell me just kind of your basic biography, your background, and what you do in Charlotte and how you got here. Yeah. So once again, thank you for having me on the program. And as you mentioned, uh, my title is Senior Vice President for Consumer Engagement for Novant Health. But as I tell folks, I've lived a uh, kind of dual uh, career journey for the last uh, 30 years. One as an interventional cardiologist, which has been my passion from a clinical standpoint, but also as a leader uh, in uh, communities as it relates to health equities and health disparities. This dates back to uh, really when I was in college, um, I attended a seven year BSND program, which had a focus on community health and social medicine. We, we now call those the social determinants of health. So from a very um, um, early academic and career uh, kind of pathway, uh, I've lived in two worlds. One, a clinical world where you're taking care of individual patients and in a parallel world where uh, I work in, in improving the health of communities. And I now have the opportunity uh, to lead Novant's work as it relates to community engagement, uh, community benefit, corporate social responsibility, with a real heavy focus on engaging um, uh, strategic partnerships uh, in order to address the social determinants of health. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really key part of why I wanted to have you on the show is a lot of um, what we talk about and what the Urban Institute studies has to do with how communities are planned, the built environment, access to food, things like that. And I think that people don't often think of that directly as relating to health, but your work really shows how it does. And um, I just am, am really fascinated by that interplay. And I think for most people, when they think about health and medicine, I'm guessing they mostly think about doctors and hospitals and clinical settings, but your work focuses a lot on uh, the other things that go into health outside the walls of the doctor's office. So tell me about that term you used, uh, the social determinants of health, and how do they vary for different groups in different places and different neighborhoods in our community? So you, you hit the nail on the head um, as it relates to uh, the health of populations and the health of communities in that 80%, 80% of chronic medical problems have nothing to do with biology, have nothing to do with genetics, but have to do with the social determinants of health. And, and specifically, when, when you talk about the social determinants of health, those are conditions in which uh, you know, people live, learn, work, and play that affect a wide range of, of health risks and health outcomes. And when you talk specifically about the social determinants of health, if you look at the um, CDC definition of the social determinants of health or how do they categorize the social determinants of health, they really uh, put them in kind of five uh, big place-based buckets. We call them place-based work. Uh, healthcare access and quality, education access and quality, social and community context, economic stability and neighborhood and built environment. So uh, what are those specific social determinants of health when you look at those five 
uh, place-based buckets. Uh, so what we're talking about is not just access to healthcare from a hospital or emergency room standpoint, but what's the access to healthcare, primary care, um, to those individuals that live in, in, in health deserts. Uh, what If you do have a clinic in a particular area, are individuals eligible for health insurance? If they do have health insurance or eligibility for health insurance, are they aware of how to sign up? So that, that's all included in healthcare access and quality. When you look at education, there is a direct link, direct link to uh, education and health outcomes meaning the um, higher the health, uh, excuse me, the higher the education attainment, the better off your health uh, uh, outcomes. When you look at social and community context, we're talking about the connections between individuals and people in communities where they live, they learn, they work, they play, social capital, civic participation, discrimination, incarceration, all of that is social and community context. Uh, economic stability, that's fairly straight Forward, right, financial resources uh, that people have to live, um, to provide for housing and for food, uh, for other activities of, of living. And then the last neighborhood uh, built environment such as housing and neighborhood um, uh, safety, the environment that you live in. Do you live in an environment where there are toxic waste and poor uh, air quality, poor water quality, uh, lack of nutritious foods? When you look at those five um, uh, place-based uh, 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 domains, you realize that the vast majority of one's health is directly related to those uh, domains and not related to their biology and not related to their genetics. So if we are truly interested in improving the health of communities, and our mission at Novant Health is to improve the health of communities one person at a time, you cannot ignore the social determinants of health. And these are activities that occur outside as you appropriately um, um, uh, outlined earlier, they occur outside of the four walls of the hospital and occurs outside of the uh, four walls of the clinic. And so, you know, related to that question, one of the starkest maps that I've seen of Charlotte um, and Mecklenburg County is a map of life expectancy by census tract. So, you know, there are really big differences. Um, there are neighborhoods where people are routinely living into their 80s, and then there are neighborhoods where, not far away, people are only, on average, living into their 60s, uh, some even lower, high 50s, I've seen. And, you know, if you overlay those maps with things like uh, income, um, race, educational attainment, uh, there's a lot of overlap there. And then if you go back in time and look at, you know, uh, redlining and areas where, uh, quote unquote, urban renewal happened and displaced large neighborhoods, uh, you see even more overlap. And you see these same patterns playing out. You know, people call it uh, the crescent and the wedge kind of reflected and boiled down to almost in their most stark form, life expectancy. So, Tell me a little bit about how your work intersects with some of these forces and the historical realities uh, that we still encounter today in the legacy of Charlotte and, you know, how maps of disparities like that um, impact and inform your work. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the social determinants of health are conditions in which people are, people are born, grow, live, work, and age. And social determinants of health are shaped by the distribution of money, 
power resources uh, across communities, right? And so if you have an equitable distribution of money, power, and resources, you will have um, an equitable uh, distribution of a variety of services. You have an equitable distribution of a variety of opportunities, all which have uh, profound uh, impacts on one's health. And you mentioned some of those uh, rules and regulations, redlining, urban renewal, that for years um, outside of those of us who focused on um, social determinants of health many years ago called community health and social medicine, it's now become a, a general understanding across the lay public that many of those rules and regulations under the guise of urban renewal on the community development uh, actually um, was discriminatory. And uh, frankly, some of them were outright um, um, put in place uh, for racist uh, intent. And that has had a profound effect because it provided the framework for lack of, of distribution of money, power, and influence across a wide variety of, of institutions uh, that impact health. So you mentioned redlining and housing. Okay, and concentration of poverty in certain areas. Okay, that concentration of poverty, lack of upward mobility, ability, excuse me, lack of education attainment, lack of healthcare, ask, uh, um, uh, lack of healthcare access because there are no hospitals and clinics in these uh, historically uh, underserved area. It creates a milieu that is rich for inequitable uh, health outcomes. And that's what you're seeing um, in its purest form in um, life expectancy that you articulated. Uh, sometimes you can go a few blocks, a few miles and see uh, life expectancy drop by 10 years just by crossing over from one zip code to the next. And it's directly related to those resources. Interestingly, those resources that are um, not all healthcare resources, right? Uh, you can go to certain areas where there are um, food deserts. There, there's no grocery stores where um, you can access, you know, fresh, nutritious uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, if you do have grocery stores in certain areas, you may have to take two or three uh, buses um, to access those uh, grocery stores. So we have to really say to ourselves as a community, um, to your point, if, if you have a zip code where the life expectancy is 81, 82 years of age and a zip code adjacent uh, to uh, that, that said zip code, life expectancy is 70, 71 years of age, you really have to ask yourself, um, what is going on there, number one, and the data has, has supported that. And then two, more importantly, what are some of the solutions? How do we partner with um, different institutions across the communities to leverage the subject matter expert, expertise that we have to create better environments. You know, healthcare, Novant, nor any other healthcare system has um, the complete ability to control all of these factors. These are factors that are outside of traditional uh, healthcare uh, venues. However, as an anchor institution in communities, which hospitals are, um, as you know, a public trust in communities, whether you're for-profit, not-for-profit, 
It doesn't really matter. Healthcare systems are a public trust in communities as we've all seen uh, in COVID-19. Uh, then we should be and do exhibit adaptive leadership where we bring uh, folks together, we collaborate with other leaders in the community to best address some of these, uh, some of these challenges that we're facing. So you mentioned uh, COVID-19 and obviously that's the biggest uh, factor, not just in healthcare, but in pretty much everything for the last year and a half. And I think that one thing the pandemic has really done is kind of blown a bunch of our preconceived notions up and, and forced us to kind of see a lot of the disparities built into our system, you know, economic, educational, racial um, disparities in work and, and more. How have you seen this play out during the pandemic? And what has the experience of this pandemic surfaced in our community that we might otherwise have, you know, continued to let go um, unseen or unacknowledged? Well, I will tell you, uh, Eli, that unfortunately, um, our team at Novant Health, we somewhat predicted what was going to happen um, as COVID um, um, descended upon our country and our communities. Why did we understand what was going to happen before it became common knowledge? It's because it's the same story that occurs with heart disease stroke, infant mortality, all across these uh, historically um, um, excluded communities. And it was really just unfortunately a matter of, of time for the data to begin to uh, surface to the, to the, lay, to the lay public. Um, <clears throat> it did not tell us anything that we didn't know for those of us once again engaged in this work, but what it did do what it did do is it, it brought it to the surface so that the lay community could really um, understand what has been going on for decades and decades and decades because the pandemic affected everyone across the spectrum, right? Now, just because it affected everyone, it did not, does not mean it affected everyone in an equal way. However, because it was a pandemic, a worldwide um, um, experience, the reporting of it was worldwide. When I say worldwide, nationally, regionally, across communities as well. And so when we began to see the disparate outcomes by race, when we began to see the disparate outcomes by socioeconomic status, then it became front, uh, uh, news, uh, front uh, page news for many um, organizations. Now that, if you want to say is a good thing of the pandemic, well, fine. It was a good thing in that it brought to the surface uh, many of the disparities that we, we all you know, knew about. Now, the other thing that it brought to the surface, which is great, is the uh, structural um, rules, regulations, and policies that are in place that really some intentionally and some unintentionally exacerbate the, um, um, the disparate outcomes, right? And so when we look at frontline workers, uh, many of whom are brown and black folks um, who um, were essential, considered essential workers, they were on the front lines early on, still are on the front lines. Uh, that was a time when um, not all frontline workers had access to PPE, 
right? Protective, personal protective equipment. So there are um, cashiers, those that are uh, engaging with folks uh, in the, in the, um, directly at the beginning of the pandemic without protection. Then uh, we were asked to um, sequester or remain at home. And for those of us who are, are blessed that have uh, homes with multiple rooms, that's a good thing. For, for multi-family or multi-generation living in one unit, one apartment, one uh, location, it's very difficult to socially distance in, in those particular um, um, locations. And so some of those uh, um, challenges began to surface uh, once the data uh, began to, to come out. And, and you know, I often said that the rules and regulations policies that uh, intentional or unintentional create some of these inequitable distribution of services. Uh, I used to say that that would be the last thing that would uh, fall in terms of being addressed. COVID accelerated that actually, right? So COVID and the social unrest accelerated, challenging those rules and regulations that we know um, um, create the inequities and therefore uh, the inequitable um, um, uh, outcomes. And now resources are being um, uh, put to those uh, areas. Now I will say that while the resources um, have been increased, it, this is not something that's going to change in one quarter or, or, or in one year, right? So most businesses look at their quarterly you know, returns or outcomes and profits, annual outcomes and profits and things of that nature. This is something that we have to look at the long game. We have to look at generational. We have to look at, look at collective impact, right? So when we invest in hopefully affordable housing or we invest in looking at strategies for reducing homelessness uh, and housing insecurities, when we address uh, uh, food insecurities, and when we address and invest in um, education in, 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 in other areas, the way we should look at it is, what is the collective impact uh, on the community and society, all right? So if you invest upfront now, do we reduce the use of health and human services five, 10 years down the line? Do we increase the tax base in our com communities? Do we, do we decrease the incarceration rate? All of those things we should be looking at in terms of a collective impact across the community. Far too often, we're very short-sighted in our investments in these areas and look for a quarterly or annual immediate return. So let's talk about some of those uh, solutions and some things that uh, we can do as a community. What are, uh, what are you doing and what's, uh, what's Novant doing and, and what should maybe we be doing more of to mm. uh, affect and improve the social determinants of health for people in our community? So we really are, are focused on uh, food, um, housing, uh, upward mobility and healthcare access. Now there are many different social determinants of health, but we have a, a major focus on those, in those four areas. And first and foremost, we have to look internally, right? You have to look in the mirror first. And we have 30,000 employees, right? First and foremost, are we giving a living wage to our, um, our employees? And that's very important uh, uh, for us. And we've been looking at that for the last few years and have made strides to increase living wage across, our, across our, um, our ranks. That's number one. Number two, we look to create upward mobility within our ranks. So our lower uh, earners, 
such as medical assistants that have aspirations uh, to um, uh, scale the uh, upward mobility ladder, going from a medical assistant to a nurse, we provide a scholarship, it's called a CMA to RN scholarship program. And what that is, is we'll, we identify medical assistants who have uh, the desire to want to become a nurse and we support them not only uh, with a tuition for nursing school, but we provide a, um, a nurse coach as well as a life coach for these individuals. But most importantly, we understand if you're going to school, right? You need time to study, you need time to take care of your family and you're still working as a medical assistant. So if you drop your hours down to 12 hours a week, we would still uh, support your full salary and benefits for the two years that you're in um, uh, the nursing program and then provide uh, nursing residencies uh, for you uh, once you complete the program. So looking at many different career ladder uh, opportunities. As it relates to food insecurities, we actually have food pharmacies within a number of our clinics, specifically our historically uh, underserved uh, clinics where individuals are screened for um, uh, food insecurities. And if they are um, meet the criteria, we actually have a food pharmacy right on um, um, uh, staff and on campus, uh, right there in the office. And not only do we provide them with a few days worth of food, but then we connect them to our partner, uh, Loaves and Fishes, uh, where we um, um, they can then continue and have a longer uh, period of, of support. So that's kind we of have, treating food um, almost as a clinical intervention there. Food, food as medicine, that's what we call it. We call it food as medicine, absolutely. Uh, we also have our mobile units where we deploy out into um, historically underserved areas uh, where uh, healthcare is lacking. Now, over the last three to five years, we've added about seven new clinics across our footprint in historically underserved areas. Most, uh, the most famous one everybody hears about is the Michael Jordan uh, Clinic on Freedom Drive and one now uh, in the North End. However, uh, our partnership with um, uh, Movement Mortgage uh, where we have a clinic on Freedom Drive, our partner with Steve Smith uh, Family Wellness Center, where we have um, a clinic on the east side, uh, as well as uh, counseling services. Uh, we have partnerships in our Winston-Salem market, as well as our New Hanover market. So we're trying to create access points uh, uh, to historically uh, underserved uh, areas from um, um, a primary care standpoint, but some of those access points in order to put a bricks and mortar, sometimes it takes a year or so. And so we have mobile units that go out that uh, provide screening um, in connection to healthcare services, as well as a mobile food pharmacy as well. The ultimate goal, Eli, really is to ensure that everyone has a medical home. It, whether it's a Novant medical home, whether it is um, uh, a community clinic medical home, whether, whether it's a federally qualified healthcare system, um, it doesn't really matter. We want someone to have a trusted medical home so that they have a point of contact um, uh, for these, not just clinical entities, but to address the uh, social determinants of health. We have a platform called um, uh, My Novant, and, and it's, it's a platform that um, is in partnership with Aunt Bertha, which is a company, a tech company that has uh, aggregated uh, by zip code health and human services um, um, organizations across the community. So when our community health workers 
will uh, see an individual in the emergency room or a discharge from the hospital, uh, we will screen them to see if they have needs for health and human services and then connect them to those health and human services. That's part of the access um, um, uh, challenge as well. There are many services that are available. However, not all patients, not all citizens across the community are aware of those services. And that's where our community health worker program comes in to connect individuals to health and human services. So that's some of the uh, activities that, that we, we are engaged in. We have uh, donated to the uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg uh, Housing Fund, uh, once again, to support um, uh, um, homelessness and housing um, um, uh, strategies across uh, across our communities and in Novant and myself included, we're part of the uh, 2025 Charlotte Mecklenburg Housing and Homelessness Strategy um, a team to look at a comprehensive plan to uh, address housing and homelessness. And that's where the public-private uh, nonprofit partnership really needs to, to come together. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. So we can look at some of these social determinants of health in a very strategic and comprehensive way. It's not just one entity, it's coming together with multiple entities uh, to address uh, uh, these challenges in a very strategic way. And one thing I wanted to, uh, to ask you is, uh, kind of stepping back to the beginning a bit, where does, where does your passion for this come from? Because I know, um, Obviously, as a practicing physician, you could uh, you could do that, and uh, I'm sure there's plenty of work for an interventional cardiologist to practice that um, as your main focus and only focus. But uh, but why do you uh, why do you want to do all the rest of this stuff, which is you know kind of complicated and messy sometimes? It's extremely complicated. It's extremely messy. However, once again, I start back with the fact that I've lived really a two, a dual professional journey. One of which, which was well circumscribed, you understand the pathway to becoming a cardiologist and how you help that individual uh, behind that exam room door, how you help that individual in the operating room. You see immediate, often an immediate um, um, uh, result of, of your work and your connection with that individual. Uh, but at the same time, there was this void, right, in healthcare where we understood, a number of us understood at an early age that the impact of a community that one lives in, it, 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 it's, it's, it's vital to the impact on one's health, but there was no real focus on addressing it. There were, there were a number of grassroots organizations, faith organizations, and some healthcare entities addressing it. However, there was really no one that uh, had a major focus on it. This is 20, we're talking 20 years ago, right? And so working in uh, the communities, working um, with faith organizations, working with those organizations across the region and country that had had a focus on this was, has always been something that I did because no one else was really engaged in it. Now, things change over time data becomes more available, understanding of the challenges uh, across our communities in terms of the health of our communities, population health uh, became um, uh, more, more mainstream. Uh, we started realizing as a society, uh, you can have the best surgeries in the world, you can have the best surgeons in the world, you can have the best pharmaceuticals, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We need all of those things. But if we truly wanna improve the health of populations and communities, those are not the activities that will get you there. 
it will be those activities that directly are in the communities that deal with the social determinants of, of, of health. And so it has always been a passion of mine and this passion has now been realized uh, after decades and decades uh, that um, if we're really serious about what we, what, we're, what we are talking about, then we have to address those, those activities. And it requires, uh, I love what you said, Eli, it's complicated and messy. It's very complicated because it's not one particular entity. So it's not just housing, right? So if you address housing, but no one, but the individual doesn't have food or adequate nutrition, you still have a challenge. If you're addressing food, but you're not really addressing behavioral health, mental illness, then you're really just um, not um, really addressing the whole um, um, complex issue. So there are many layers to this. There are many um, individuals and organizations that have subject matter expertise in one particular area. The goal is um, really a leadership exercise and how do you bring all those entities together to look for the common thread throughout all those uh, entities uh, to create really a coalition um, around uh, these issues and in, in activities that we, we all can support. And so it really is a leadership activity, Eli. So our final question as we uh, come to the end here of our time, if you could wave a magic wand and, and change anything about Charlotte to improve people's health, uh, improve the social determinants of health, what would it be and why? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess on the largest scale, the highest scale, moving as far upstream as possible, would really be to address the rules and regulations, both intentional and unintentional, that create inequitable uh, situations throughout communities. Okay, and so that's really um, challenging some of the power structures, um, uh, really cha challenging some of the really political structures that that are in place that creates you know some of these inequitable um, uh, activities. I would also say that understanding that this is not a zero-sum game for individuals. So when you talk about these activities, there seems to be this idea that if there's support of one particular community or one particular entity, it's taking away from the other. And that kind of zero-sum game, game um, philosophy really, I think, prohibits those uh, from thinking outside the box and thinking creatively and innovatively, and more importantly, collaboratively, more importantly, collaboratively. I think we have the brains in, 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 in Mecklenburg County. We clearly have the resources. The question is, do we have the, the will, the leadership um, uh, to pull it all together? And I think, I think this has been, uh, over the last 12 months, an exercise in um, one, um, educating our communities about what is really going on out there so that now it's so permeated throughout society because of COVID that at least now there's a captive audience. Now, I hope that captive audience leads uh, to continued action. I, I, I do see a lot of activity um, going on, collaborative activity going on, which is great. Um, we just want to make sure that we are not engaged in 
in creating yet we as a collective we across society that we're not engaged in collecting more data, writing more reports with no actionable um, um, innovative ideas. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Um, where can people find out more about uh, what you are doing and what Novant's doing if they're uh, if they're interested? So if you go to the Novant um, website, uh, novanthealth.org, and go to our community engagement website, um, you will be able to find a, a, a bunch of information about community health needs assessment, uh, some of our uh, community impact. Uh, in 2020, uh, our community benefit was $1 billion uh, to our communities. And what does that $1 billion consist of? It consists of uh, paying for uninsured care. It includes uh, our partnerships in, in, uh, throughout the uh, our footprint as it relates to uh, creating new clinics, food pharmacy, access, things of that nature. So uh, all that information, our community benefit impact report is also uh, on the uh, website as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. Stay well and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for having me, Eli, and I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.